Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. This reading is from uh, Matthew 6. Um, Do not lay up yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We're going to uh, pick back up our study that we uh, left off before Thanksgiving uh, through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And if um, you've not read this before, or just a quick reminder, the way that the Sermon on the Mount works is that it is not a sermon by Jesus that talks necessarily about how you become a Christian or how you get into the kingdom. It talks way more about what it looks like to be in the kingdom, or in a sense, what happens if the gospel gets a hold of your life and then spills out a life from that. It, it, it's, it's, like, it's not the medicine that you take for the sickness. It begins to be like the side effects uh, that happens to you once you take the medicine. And in the previous section that we looked at, Jesus is very concerned to talk about the side effects or the, the aspects of the kingdom, how different they are from false religion. But here in this section, he'll actually make a quick turn and want to distinguish Christianity from the, the practices and the values of this world. And in this particular text, what he wants to distinguish is he says, if you're a follower of me, he wants to talk about your treasure. Now, what's a treasure? Simply put, a treasure is something that is so central to your life, uh, it's so fundamental to your life that you can't imagine living your life without it. You know, in life, there are lots of good things, there are lots of important things, uh, there are luxuries uh, that we like, that we take into our life, but a treasure is something that is never an option. It is the last thing you would ever, ever consider giving up in your life. Now, why is it important for us to begin to look at this? Well, in the midst of our culture, where we are going forward, and thinking about being a Christian, one of the most pressing things on us uh, with our faith and with our, the witness of the church out in the culture is the danger of syncretism. That is, taking your faith and the values of the culture around you and trying to both make them work in your life. And one of the most vivid ways that the church is falling into this problem is trying to profess faith in Christ and pursue the treasures of American life. Uh, there's an incredible picture of this like 15 years ago um, in a movie called uh, Spider-Man 2 which I don't expect any of you to remember. But it comes from the comic books. But you'll get this picture this way. Uh, in the comics, uh, Spider-Man Peter Parker, his, the love of his life is a girl named Mary Jane. Well, in the second volume, what happens is they discover, because of his superhero life, 
in her life that it's not compatible for them to have a love relationship, so they have to sort of step away from each other. And so Mary Jane has this uh, romantic relationship with this guy uh, who's a Marine. He's incredibly strapping. He's very successful. He's very good-looking, and he's her fiancé. Well, what happens towards the end of the movie is Spider-Man saves her, saves the day. And as they're coming to rescue her from the evil villain, as she's been saved, uh, he has to escape and jumps up on the Brooklyn Bridge. And then all of the media and all the people come, and her fiancé comes and sweeps her up to, to rescue her. And there's an amazing vivid picture where she's hugging and embracing her fiancé in his arms and staring up on the bridge and looking right at Peter Parker. And here's the picture that you get from that moment. That everybody thinks she's in the arms of her lover, but her eyes are fixed on her real lover. And that's the danger in this text that Jesus is going after. People who say, I'm in the arms of Christ. I live in his embrace, but our eyes are set on a true lover up on the bridge. And so the question from this text is, what is your true treasure? What is the real love of your life? And and let's examine that through sort of three headings under this text. One, the inevitability of treasure. Two, the danger in treasure. And then three, let's look at real treasure. So first, the inevitability of treasure. Look back in the text with me. In verse 19, Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but rather treasure in heaven. Or the ESV says, but rather heavenly treasure. He says, do not store up uh, uh, this kind of treasure. Do not store up earthly treasure, but heavenly treasure. Now, when he says treasure, uh, it's a word in the Greek that means uh, not less than possessions, but it means the desire to acquire things. He says, your life ought to be about a desire to acquire not things in this world, in this culture, but desire the things of God in his kingdom. And the point that he's making right away is it is inevitable for you to live a life that is not built on the desire to acquire something. You can't not build your life on something. Now, this point right away I'm trying to make is because so many people would hear Jesus here uh, and think about it and just think this is a spiritual activity. Well, you, you're into that because you're spiritual or you go to church or you read the Bible or these things, but th- this is fundamental to human life. Uh, I've mentioned this before, but um, David Foster Wallace was an incredible uh, author, was a professor out in Pomona before he died, had an amazing graduation speak to, a speech to students at Kenyon College. And he said this, he's not, he was not a Christian, he was not even... Uh, religious personally at all, but he said this. He said, here's something else that's true in life. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice in life that we get is what we worship. It's inevitable. And here's the thing about Jesus' language of treasure. Think about treasure. It just doesn't come to you. You don't just find it. You go searching for it. And the reason that this is so important for us to understand right from the beginning is because your identity is built up in this. Who you are as a person 
is bound up in this treasure hunt, in this search that's inevitable in life. This is what Jesus means in verse 21 where he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Or the British musician Marcus Mumford, he put it succinctly on commenting on that verse when he just said, where you invest your love, you invest your life. I mean, what Jesus is saying here is that you will have no self-understanding about your life, about what you're spending it doing, about why you care about these things, about where your time goes, about where your resources go, about where all of these things go, unless you understand that the bulk of your life is spent chasing something that is not a part of your life, it's your treasure. David Foster Wallace continues, he says, on one level, we all know this stuff already. It's codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, parables, the skeleton of every great story. But the trick in life is to keep this truth up front for us in daily consciousness. The insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, it's that they're unconscious. They are default settings. If you want to understand who you are as a human being and what it's like to live in this city, and why you need to be self-conscious of this as a Christian, it's you have to understand that everybody is on a treasure hunt. And the day-to-day part of life is about searching for that, either for earthly treasure or for heavenly treasure. It's inevitable. But secondly, as you go into this, you have to see that there's an incredible danger that Jesus gives us in the search for treasure. And here's the, here's the danger in a word. Treasure is blinding. What do I mean? I look in verse 22 and 23. I'm thinking of this illustration that Jesus gives when he says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, the, if then the light is in you, is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now, what does he mean by here? Jesus is saying in this little, little illustration, he's saying, imagine you're in a room uh, and there's a lamp in there. Uh, the lamp lights up the darkness. It makes the room seeable. You can understand where things are, where you won't trip or you won't fall over something. But he says, but if your eye is bad, it doesn't matter if there's a lamp or not. You cannot see anything. You will not be able to tell if something is there for you to trip over, if there's a wall to run into, or anything like this. And so whether there's a light or not a light, your eye is dependent upon your ability to maneuver the room. And what Jesus is saying is that treasure has an insidious ability to darken our eyes whether or not we say there's a lamp in our life. Because what treasure does is it is inevitably a blinding activity. And, and I, I want to spend some time on this. Because the blinding nature of, of treasure is just, it's just all over our culture. And it's just all over our lives. There are like five parts to, I think, the blinding nature of treasure that are sort of in this text and around this text that just, just follow me. I mean, treasure, it, earthly treasure, 
We are, we are really blind to the amount, the reward, the pattern, the stability, and the relationship to it. I'll, I'll go, go over these one by one. We are really blind to the amount of earthly treasure. I mean, this, this illustration, it communicates a lot. But one of the things it's saying is that treasure is blinding to treasure. We are never in touch with the amount of it. Now think about life and a lot of the things in your life. Almost everything in life has a natural boundary to it, to where you know too much is too much. If you have a closet, it's built with the, with the boundaries to know when too many clothes can fit in there and no more can fit in there. When you sit down at a meal like Thanksgiving or Christmas or something like that and you try to eat, you know when you've eaten too much because your body has a feeling of, I can't do this anymore. But treasure has no boundaries. You never know when it's enough. You never know when you've crossed the line and it's too much. You never know when you've gone overboard and you think, this is enough. All it takes is for somebody else who has better looks. All it takes is for somebody who has a bigger house. All it takes is for somebody with a larger retirement. All it takes is for somebody who's doing a little bit more success in your field. And you think it's never enough. Because treasure has an incredible way to blind us to the amount. It's also blinding to the reward. When Jesus says this in verse 20, he says, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy. What he means is that the treasure that you go after in this world, we are blind to what we think it will give us. We are sure it will give us something permanent, something filling, something wonderful, something loving. But it will never, ever, ever give you what you want. And you know what? No one believes him. Look, this, is, this is the perfect example of this. We live in a city where thousands of successful people have tasted untold amounts of money and unprecedented fame and had testimonies consistently saying it made me miserable. And still everybody goes, I think I'd like to try it for myself. Henry Rockefeller once said, I wish someone had told me that when you get to the top, there is nothing there. The man who owned, he owned half of New York City. And none of us believe that. It's because we are blind to the reward of treasure. We're also blind to the pattern. The very next passage that we're going to look at next week, Jesus talks about anxiety, about not being anxious. And the reason he talks about anxiety right on the heels of treasure is because the two are related. 
That is, your emotions, your trouble emotions in life are almost always built up in your treasure hunts. And the inability to connect the dots for us is part of the blinding nature of treasure. Like the fact that you can't understand why your heart is always doing this in a very concrete, clear way, it's because you're after this, is part of the blind eye. And the idea that if we even knew that, we'd still go after it. It was, was, was kind of hilarious. A uh, bit on the Discovery Channel years ago about these South Indian monkey traps uh, that this, um, this tribe in South India uh, would want to capture these monkeys because they had all, lots of um, benefits for their tribe and food and, and agriculture and things like that. And the way that they would hunt for them is uh, in these little uh, uh, mud hills, they would dig a little hole that was just small enough for, an Indian, for a monkey to stick its little fist in. And in the little hole, they would put these berries that were very aromatic and attractive to these little monkeys. And they would stick lots of these berries in there. And so when the monkey would stick its fist in there, it would, it would have enough room for its fist to go in, but it would grab the berries and try to pull them out, and it would get stuck because they would be small enough that their hand could not come out. So what happened is they would reach in for the berries, grab them, hold, try to pull their hand out and get stuck. And these you know, people from the tribe would just come up with clubs and just whack them over the head when they were trying to do this. And the amazing part is when these monkeys would see these men coming, they wouldn't think we're going to die. We should drop this and run. They would think I must have these berries. And they would never let go, and it would cost them their life. As they were so in love with having these things that they would think, it's better for me to keep trying to figure out a way to have this than to run for my life. And you and I are blind to the same pattern. As there are things in our life that we are so sure that we cannot live without, and even though it's, it's making me sleepless at night, and even though it's costing me relationships, even though it's costing me joy in every part of every season of life, it's better to hold on to this and to keep grabbing for it than to drop it and run. Because we are so blind to the pattern. But we're also blind to the stability of earthly treasure. This is what Jesus means in the next part of that verse when he says, where thieves can't break in and steal. Now, now th- this one is just obvious to our culture. The way that we truly believe that 1929 or 2008 will never happen again. That there are things that you can invest in, there are things that you can put your money, your hopes your future in in such a way to think, I'll be okay. Then I'll be stable. Then I'll be secure. But all of that is just chronologically naive to not know what will happen this year. We, we could have a pandemic times too. We, we, could, we could 
We could have a war. We could have any kind of crisis that could come that will absolutely threaten every earthly treasure that we've ever invested in and take it away today. I mean, one of the greatest treasures that we just invest in, understandably, is our families. I mean, we have no idea what's in store for our marriages and our children this year. And the naive nature to that is that we think that we are having something in this world that will never rust. And no moth can ever touch this if I just control it and protect it enough. But any of you know that the more you try to control it, the more you try to protect it, the more miserable it is. We are unbelievably blind to the amount, the reward, the pattern, the stability, but also the relationship to earthly treasure. In verse 24, when Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. Here's what he's saying. This important thing in your life, this treasure that is so much a part of your investments, your relationships, your emotions, it's not a part of your life. It's running your life. This is not your friend. This is your master. There was a um, really profound documentary about a year and a half ago you all need to watch, especially if you're a parent, called The Social Dilemma. And what they did is they interviewed all these former executives uh, from Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, every social media aspect, and, and all of these people have left those organizations. And one of the questions they ask all the time, you say, you know, these apps that have millions and hundreds of millions of uses a day. Does it ever occur to any of you that these are free? And you pay nothing for this, and they make billions. What they say is, and this is a very chilling line, they say, if you're not paying for the product, you know what that means? You are the product. That this is not a part of your life. You're a pawn of its life. And friends, it's unbelievable how blind you and I are to that in life. That this thing that so much keeps you up at night, that so much takes away from your joy, it's not a part of your life. It's running your life. It is your master. And here's how you can, right now, begin to get your finger on what your master is. What in your life, when it's threatened, do you immediately fall into either anxiety or anger? What is it? The moment it's threatened, you either can't sleep because you're afraid it's gone or you plot how to get these people back. Because whatever that is, is it's most definitely your earthly treasure. And that's probably what you're investing in. And you you know what Jesus desperately wants you to know is that it's not, that's, that thing is not just rusting, but it's rusting you. It, it, it is corroding your soul. It, it is taking over your life and robbing you of the great freedom and joy that God wants to give you in life.
David Foster Wallace, he says one last thing in that essay that's so chilling. He says, something will eat you alive. And it's incredible how things are doing that to us and we are just blind to it. We're just blind to it. And that, friends, is the danger of earthly treasure. It's inevitable that you are going to spend 2022 searching for it. And the danger is how blind we are to all of those things and how it can just be ruining our lives and we continue on. So what do we do? What's the hope and what's the good news this morning? The good news is that Jesus comes and he offers us real treasure. Look with me, look. I mean, if it's true, we're chasing these things. And that the danger is real. Then what we need, what, what you and I most desperately need, is something in our life that can never fade and can never be lost and will not let us down but that will truly love us. And, and th- that's really what, what heavenly treasure is in a nutshell that Jesus offers us. Something that can never fade and something that will always love you. Look, something that can never fade. There's a place in 1 Peter 1 where Peter's talking about the new birth. He says, look, when you become a Christian, it's really amazing. God just does, he doesn't just forgive your sins, he does. But he actually comes in your life, and his spirit dwells within you. It begins to give you a whole new identity, a whole new experience, a whole new way of living now in this world. And one of the parts to your identity is he gives you this unbelievable hope. He gives you a future and an inheritance which cannot fade, which cannot be empty, which can never be stolen, and it is guarded for you in heaven. That when you become a Christian, you get a promised treasure that you you don't have to protect. You don't have to check on every day to make sure it's still there. It is guarded guarded in a vault sealed in the blood of the cross. Guaranteed for you to be there. Now compare that to earthly treasure. Where every day is a threat Every day, no matter how secure you think that thing is, is a threat on your earthly treasure. What that means is life with earthly treasure is like this. But do you, you know, here's the thing about heavenly treasure. Because it is kept for us in heaven, every threat that this world throws at you in your earthly treasure, it can never take it away. But all it actually will do is sink you deeper into the hope for heavenly treasure. Look, the threats of this world, this is actually what Peter goes on to say in that text. Here's what it does for heavenly treasure. Every time you suffer and you get a threat from this world, all it will do is turn you from wood into metal so that when the fire gets hot, you never burn, you just get purified. Because the treasure that you are given and you are promised, it can never, ever be taken away from you. Nothing anybody can say, nothing anybody can do, and nothing, anything that can happen in this world can ever 
take it away from you. And Jesus says, spend your life desiring that. Put your hope in that. Put your shoes in that. Don't you need that? But he also gives us something, a a treasure that not just can't be taken away from us, that will always love us. Look, when he says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Jesus is trying to get us to see how different he is and heavenly treasure is from earthly treasure. Because the narrative of earthly treasure, it basically is built on the belief that you and I are giving ourselves to something that will love us. It will give us what we desire. It will give us the fruit of our longings. It will finally make us safe. It will finally make us loved. It will finally make us secure. But you know what? It's just a taunt. Because earthly treasure, it will never give you what you really want. And if you fail it, it will never, ever, ever forgive you. It is the most cruel master in the universe. And there's some real wordplay that most commentators point out that when Jesus says no one can serve two masters because Jesus calling him a master is really a unique term in the Gospels because he is a Lord, he is a master, but he's not a master like anyone else in this world because Jesus is the kind of master who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped but he considered himself nothing. Made himself in the form of a servant. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. See, every treasure in this world that you go after will make you die for it, but Jesus is the only treasure that will die for you. To guarantee you that no matter what, If you get it, you will experience untold, unfound, unmet joy. And if you fail it, it will always forgive you and he will always love you all the way to the end. You know know how we know that? It's because Jesus was willing to lose his equality. He was willing to lose all the treasures that we could ever, ever want. You you know why? Hebrews 12, 2 says this, that on on the cross... Jesus endured it for the joy set before him. What joy, what joy did he not have? He owned the world. He sat in glory with the Father. You know what joy he didn't have? He didn't have you. Which means this. You know what Jesus' treasure was on the cross? It was you. Look, you ought to make him your treasure because he made you his. Let me apply this before we get out of here. A couple quick ways before we end this. Look, this idea of storing up, I mean, some of the great works I read on this, they say, look, we we have to contextually apply this. This does not mean we have all got to get back to first century Galilee and pursue poverty in life exactly like Jesus. I don't think that he meant that. But this perspective of storing up treasure, of of a spirit of acquiring things, it ought to reorient us in 2022 in American culture that you live 
a distinct way. You, you ought to be distinct with how you pursue people, your investments, and your time. I mean, people in this city look, are, are things to be acquired, are people to investigate and see, can you help me get what I really want in this world? Which means handicapped people, socially awkward people, economically impoverished people have very little to do for the, for the status that we are going after. But if you store up treasure in heaven, you ought to have somebody like that in your life. That you at least have a relationship with. That tastes some form of life out of how you are willing to interact with people. Look, your, your, your investments, are they all for you or for, are any of them for the blessing of the kingdom of God? What, one of the greatest ways I think we ought to think about giving is partnership and investment. That when you give to the kingdom of God, the Bible has this perspective that what you're doing is you are investing and storing up something that will reap a harvest for millions of years. There are, there are things tens of thousands of years from now, maybe in this world or in the second heaven and earth, that people will experience and joy and it will come from something you gave in this world. And all of your investments that are only in American treasure, it's, it's going to burn up. That doesn't mean don't be wise and don't be a good steward and don't take care of your family. But is there anything that you invest in that is only of the kingdom of God? Your time. Look, this is not the best time to say this because we're still in the midst of really a COVID peak. But eventually, we've got to come out of this. And there are lots of parts of ministries in this church that need people to give their time, to volunteer, to do music, to serve, to help. And every single time, you do it, it's a sacrifice. But when you do it, what you're sort of saying is, I'm going to store up things for the kingdom of God and not just for myself. Look, invest and store up heavenly treasure. I'll close with this. I've got a friend who's a minister in Palo Alto. And he had a guy several years ago come to him. His name was Art. And Art uh, had moved from the Far East, come to California, uh, invested in this company, became incredibly successful. He made more money than any of us will ever imagine. Got very sick towards the end of his life and met my friend and asked him to come visit him regularly. And as they would spend time together, uh, my friend would listen to him talk, would pray for him. And every single time, the guy would always just say, uh, I've done everything I've wanted. I've gotten everything I've wanted. I have no regrets. My friend would continue to visit him. And about a week before he died, 
my friend was listening to him talk, and the, fi- the man finally just broke down. He just said, I have so many regrets, and I don't know what to do with them. Another man, William Borden. William Borden was uh, an inheritor of the Borden dairy fortune, untold amounts of money, went to Yale undergrad, Princeton grad school, graduated in 1912, offered every successful job in New York, more untold amounts of money, turned it all down to go be a missionary in China. Not long after he was there serving, he contracted spinal meningitis, and he died. When his family went to go recover his remains, they found his Bible. This man had turned down his family fortune, all of his degrees, all the pedigree of the world to go give his life for what everyone would call the most foolish thing possible. And in the front of his Bible, it just said two words, no regret. Now consider these two men, one who had everything the world wants, got to the end of his life, and all he thought was, I have so many regrets. This other man had everything the world wanted, gave it all up to live a life that nobody really wants, died in all his, <laughs> his last words to his family, no regrets. Which one will be your life? Do not store up earthly treasure, but spend 22 after heavenly treasure. Let me pray. Father, this call is so loud in our culture because probably our country and our culture tastes earthly treasure in a clearer, brighter way than three-fourths of our world. And we are so blind, and we struggle so much with this. Jesus, would you help us be clear? Would you help us store up and invest in the only things where, where, where moths can't enter in and fade it, and it will never rust? Lord, help us learn from the testimony of William Bondroom. What a life. What a gift. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.